Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. Hey, BTP buddies. My guest today is Mo Alexander. Mo's new album, Mo Possum Blues, is out anywhere you get your comedy albums, and I recommend you get this one. Mo's social commentary will make you laugh and think at the same time, but the thinking won't hurt too bad unless you're a terrible person. You can see Mo's schedule and follow his social media accounts at moalexander.net, and make sure you get the album. Here's Mo Alexander. It's a good one. Mo, how are you yeah, today? And how are you? Great. Hey, I got to tell you, this new album is just great front to back. Thank you so much. Thank yeah. you so, so much. We worked really hard on the stupidities for that album. <laughs> and my producer, Dan Schlissel from uh, Stand Up Records, you just don't understand. When we recorded, when we first, we first started working together, he was like, and we're going to record your album at Sun Studio in Memphis. And I'm like, yay. <laughs> and in my back of my mind, I'm like, there's no way those people are going to let me record an album in Sutton Studio. And he worked it out and he did it. And it didn't even become real to me till the day before we recorded it because we were, uh, because when I walked into the back, the, it, when I walked into the engineering room through the back door and I stood in there like, I am not supposed to be in here. This is awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Do you feel the history when you're in there? You do. You could, I was like, because I'm a comic and I'm a weirdo. I'm like, oh, they were like, and this is the spot Elvis stood on. You get this little X that I uh -huh. recorded. In. That's where you're, you record right there on the X. Yeah. I'm a comic. And I'm like, so where did Ike first slap Tina? Maybe that <laughs> and they were like, we, you need to leave. I'm like, come on. <laughs> I tell you, one of the when I moved down here to Huntsville, one of the first things I wanted to do is go to Muscle Shoals Studios, and I went in there, and it's like Sun. It's a tiny little studio, but the history just seeps out. And I was I was there with what looked like um, a rich guy and his sons, and this guy and my wife's with me, and this guy's just talking about everything he knows about the Rolling Stones and Linda Ronstadt and Steve Winwood and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying much. And when I get talking about music, I can go a lot because I love music. And right. my wife's like, why aren't you saying anything? I'm like, okay, this piano is the one that Steve Winwood played on Low Spark of High Heel Boys. This piano right here. I am staring at this piano and I'm just feeling the history come up. I, I'm totally speechless. And I just... Uh, I, it's really weird, and I want to go back through again so I can lis listen to the stories a little bit more. But, man, those studios, the talent just gets into the woodwork, and when you walk in there, you really feel it's palatable. And and I'm really glad you got to record that at Sun. I saw some of the pictures that you posted doing that, and, man, that was really neat. Yeah, man, it was such a cool experience because I'm from Memphis, so as by law, I'm not a big Elvis person. 
just going in there. Okay, so where did, what's his name? There's Carl Perry Johnny Cash and all those guys. And I turned serious. I was like, seriously, I know it's never, spousal uh, domestic abuse is never funny, but historical domestic abuse <laughs> is something that I'm going to make commentary yeah. on. Like, where did Ike slap <laughs> Tina? I need to see that. But where's the backhand slap stain on the wall? I need to see that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that is a horrible thing to say, but I'm a horrible human being. Yeah. But uh, it's just the energy of that place. If you get the video, because you can get the same, you can get the album on video. We did a video at the same time. It's on Vimeo. You can order that. And we, the opening of the video is me walking past all the historical music places in Memphis. Like there's Jack, which is right down the street from my house. Yeah. There's Boo Mitchell's place. All the, all Sam Phillips' other studio. We walked past all of them, Arden Studio, All these studios. Memphis is full of music studios. Yeah. And we walked past all those things just to get to, just to get the sun to uh -huh. record that album. So just a fun experience to do. Yeah. Yeah. Now you mentioned talking about subjects that most people don't talk about and your album really covers a lot of those subjects. You got racism, you got Trump, you got school shootings, you got all of it and you do it in a way that so it's very direct. It's some people dance around it and some people use some subtlety and yet you're really direct and you get away with it. And because I'm honest about it, that you can be honest about something and make fun of it. And it's going to creep some people out that I'm doing it. But if you listen to how you listen to what I'm saying, I'm not saying anything truly horrible. Okay. So I am, but <laughs> it, it's all necessary to make changes on the planet because we and if I can make you fix a topic through laughing about it and seeing how stupid certain issues are on this planet, I'm doing a good job. Yeah, yeah. And I think that you've been doing this long enough. You've got so many albums out. Was your first album 2006 or did you have one before that? Oh, I had one before that. I had okay. I had one that you can't get anymore called The Mo Files. And it was like my very first album uh -huh. in 2000. And uh, yeah, you can't get that one anyway, but that's when I was still nice and friendly and not, if you ever have, if you have a copy of that, hold on to it. Cause it's, it's <laughs> a collector's item because, uh, <laughs> I'm actually pretty clean back then. Yeah. And how did, and that's one of the things I wanted to talk about. How did you go from the comedian you were, the nice, easygoing guy to being more of a hard hitting social commentary guy? What type of a journey was that for you? The world got dumber and I still live in it. Yeah. <laughs> the world got more stupid and I had to make fun of these things. You got to understand, even when I had the clean album, I still was trying to hit people in the face with funny. Uh -huh. But like back in the day, when I, like a year into me starting comedy, I threw away my comedy notebook because I went and I ended up catching a HBO special of Bill Hicks, uh -huh. Revelations. And I sat there and marveled at what he was doing and just threw away my notebook. Oh, if you can be this honest and real, why can't I do that? And it took a few years for me to get that way. Uh -huh. But I had to start talking about the stuff that really bothers me uh -huh. or the stuff that, you know, happens in my life every day. My albums are either, my albums are like 99% real stuff that I make 100% funny. But it also involves my life versus the world life. I'm... I have a small, I have a small place on this planet and in this universe. And yeah, I can talk about me on the whole album, but why I did that? The world is a much larger place that I can make fun of because seriously, it's gotten dumber. 
I didn't think it was going to be possible, but yeah. it keeps getting, it keeps surprising me with the stupidity I see in, on the planet. So I have to make commentary. And you do it well. So when you're transitioning, okay, Bill Hicks, you get the idea that maybe you want to go this direction and you start going there. What kinds of hills and valleys did you have along the way? I'm a weirdo. And I used to do things just to challenge myself. Like, and I tell this to it's such a horrible thing. Please don't ever do this. You won't, if, if you succeed, you'll be great. But if you don't succeed, you're going to hate everything. One of my things I used to do is I used to do 20 minutes where I could do no wrong. 20 minutes where the crowd would absolutely hate the stuff that I did. Uh-huh. And then the next 20 minutes, I am your God. Because I'd bring it back around. It was a challenging right. thing to do, but I used to do that all the time for fun. So you wanted to take them out of it just so you could bring them back in? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, if you because if you listen close, so many people just hear the words; they don't hear the context with the words. Uh-huh. And if you just say certain words, they're gonna freeze up and lock up because they're not truly listening. Yeah, especially at comedy shows because they're drinking, and certain places are better than others about that. I left Denver two weeks ago, about a week ago now, no, two weeks ago, and uh, Denver and the Colorado comedy scene is insane. I love those people. Uh huh. And then I came back and did Little Rock, and I was like, oh, yeah, I forget you people exist. Oh, not <laughs> people exist, but the way that they, I have this brand, I have, I can't say it's a brand new joke. I wrote a joke eight years ago, and it never got anything, ever, so I dropped it. Uh-huh. But now, I brought it back after the whole Roe versus Wade thing, and it's not on that new, it's not on the album. This is brand new stuff for me, and it is crushing everywhere. Oh, yeah. Except when I went to Little Rock and these people were just like, hey, you're talking about me. And I'm like, yeah, I am. <laughs> now you get it. <laughs> and it's funny. I'm a extremely liberal guy, like on the edge of being a socialist. But it's funny how people that are super conservative, some of them get it. And some of them know that if you're poking fun of them a little, they roll along with it and they like it. But all it takes is one to get pissed off and then they can turn the whole crowd. Yeah, pretty much. But usually that one person. Because I'm going to do it. I'm going to diffuse the situation. I'm going to make fun of that. I'm going to find something in the moment to make fun of, to show him why him or her why they're wrong about being mad about anything. Because first of all, you're at a time club. You don't have to agree with me. We don't have to agree about anything. Just <laughs> sit and realize that the world isn't as black and white as you think it is. Yeah. And just laugh about making fun of the thing. You might not want to change the situation you're in, but just let's laugh about it. Think yeah. how stupid really, it really is. <laughs> now, there's only two comedians I know that when I say their name, everybody in the comedy industry lights up. It's you... And Stuart Huff, you're the <laughs> only two that I'm are... Good, you, I'm in good company then. I'm yeah, company. You're, you're the only two that seem to be universally loved. How do you get to a place like that where you've got so much respect within the community that, first of all, you, you can find a gig pretty easy, and second off, everybody's coming to you for advice. Where? How do you get to that place? I'm only a dick if you deserve it. Uh-huh. That's it. That, that sounds horrible. Most of the open micers and myths will tell you completely the opposite. <laughs> Maybe they, they deserve it, right? Okay yeah. It. I'm okay with it. They all hate me. And I'm like, all right, I don't care. That's fine. 
I'll be over here with the number one album. See y'all later. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, I know that sounds kind of dickish. You always hear that thing. You don't get respect in your hometown. And it's pretty much true. What do you see yeah. <laughs> Funny to me. Don't you hate it when somebody asks you to give them notes on their set and you actually give them notes and then they get pissed off about it? <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't do that. I don't, I refuse. I give notes if I think you need a note. That's it. If yeah. you ask me to come up, hey, can you watch my set? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm busy. There's a tequila getting cold over there. No, I need to. But being in the same company with Stuart Huff, because he's one of the greatest guys out here. He's a great human being. Uh -huh. He's hilarious. I love him to death. I love him to death. We've never worked together, though. We've never worked together. Oh, wow. But we just have this complete mutual respect. Like, he'll leave me a little message. If we are at the same club two weeks back and back, he'll leave me a message. I'll take a message to him. <laughs> just like, it's nothing but love with Stuart. I ain't got nothing but love for that man. Yeah. He's hilarious, and he's ridiculous, and he's a great human being. Yeah. And I try to live up to all three of those. And you're both similar in that you, you handle things from more of a philosophical angle, and uh, you get into the root cause of all the shit that's going down in the world. So, you know, that's what I appreciate about it. And, you know, sometimes you just want to go see – a comedian that makes you laugh. And sometimes you yeah. want to go see a comedian that makes you think and laugh at the same time. And I'm normally one of those that want to see both. And both of you fit the bill. Both of you do that in such a way that not only do I have a great night laughing, but I learned some stuff too. Yeah, I never meant to go out to be a teacher with this stuff, but it's just something I can't ignore. I can't ignore the world around me being as silly and dumb as it really is and people not take people take the world too seriously. And yes, we need to change a lot of stuff that's happening right now. But why can't you laugh about the stuff that needs to be changed anyway? Yeah. Like right now I'm making fun of that 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 hate group, the little boys who dressed up like Best Buy employees and hid in a van trying to break up a gay parade in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Uh, you know how much of a bitch you have to be <laughs> to break up a gay parade in Coeur d'Alene? Come to Memphis, Tennessee and do that. Yeah. I know three drag queens will stick an eight-inch heel inside somebody's asshole <laughs> right now. So let's go. <laughs> and you got to make fun of those people because this is real. These people are out here in existence, and I'm going to make fun of them because they're stupid. Uh -huh. Because I swear to you, God, I swear to you, dude, I will never be scared of a dude who dressed like a Best Buy employee, a geek squad dude. Hey man, why don't you shut up because nobody cares about your theory on critical race theory. Why don't you put my screen protector on properly this time? No <laughs> bubbles. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Now, Thank you. Now you've been... Just, just, go ahead. Go ahead. Go, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. You've been in this long enough that you've probably seen good and bad times. Have you ever been to the point where you thought, okay, I'm just going to hang it up? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There has been some serious, I mean, not in the past two years, but even during COVID when everything locked down and I had, I lost so many, we all lost gigs, mm -hmm. every gig for a long time. And I did so many Zoom shows, and I think I made like 20 bucks off the of Zoom shows <laughs> total. But it's been a long time since I want to quit and give everything up. There, there come the times where you want to do. I've had hell gigs. I've had checks bounce on me that has screwed my entire 
account, personal economy up for months. Um, yeah, I've had all, every bad thing you could possibly happen in comedy has eventually happened to me at some point. And you either get past it or you just crawl up in a ball and die. And yeah. I already died and I don't like that. So I'm yeah. crawling up in a ball and doing it again. You sure so I'm still here yeah. and I'm still fighting for my, my, my next level. I'm trying to level up. Everybody thinks I'm at the top. I'm not at the top. That's Chappelle and Rock and everybody. And I'm at a weird space because, yeah, I'm headlining. I'm getting into even better clubs now. I'm not even, I'm not close to being done yet. The next album is going to be more ridiculous than this one. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. But because this one's good. And, and I think I you know that. It. Yeah. <laughs> so I haven't even listened to it. I, I haven't listened to it since the first cut. Since the, I, I haven't listened to it since the first cut because I'm just like, I don't like listening to myself after I've done the material already. I'm just yeah. like, yeah, I'm done. So, so, when, here, just... so when you put together an album and all that material is out there, is that material dead to you? Do you start weaning off of it? Yet. Okay. It's not dead yet because I'm just now starting to write the new hour because I'm bored. Half of this, uh, COVID stopped everything because you couldn't go hang out. And I get a lot of my material by hanging out. Yeah. Going places, going to do things and finding situations. I watch a lot of news. The news was just January 6th and Trump and all that. So now I'm starting the albums out now. And I already have a new 20 minutes that I really enjoy. I really enjoy. And that's the quickest 20 minutes I've ever, that's why I go to, that's why I go to Colorado every year for a month because I do, if there's 30 days in a month, I'm going to end up doing 27 shows uh -huh. and in 27 shows, you're going to get some new stuff if you really want to. Yeah. And that's yeah. what happened. So I went out there and got 20, but 20 new minutes of material. I just got booked to headline the comedy works on downtown in downtown Denver for September. 22nd through the 25th, which is amazing and makes me incredibly happy. And uh, right. yeah, so I'm working new stuff now. It's not dead yet. A lot of it will be dead. Like the possum story, I'm trying not to do anymore okay. because I do, I now do have my own personal possums and uh, yeah, I, I'm just trying to get rid of that story and the, stuff will drop off as new stuff drops in. Uh -huh. So the next three or four weeks, if you have the album, you hear about 40% of the album again, plus about 60% of new stuff. Oh, cool. Cool. Now you've always, you seem to have a goal in mind after the album's out. So after the album's out, it's get ready for the next album. How long yeah. have you been on that cycle where, okay, I got a good hour. I need another good hour. And what do you have to do to get that hour? What, how much time is involved? How much, what kind of writing do you have to do? Cause I know, you know, me, I'll write 10 jokes and only one of them is going to even make it to the open mic. Right. Yeah. It takes you, it used to take me like two years to write a new hour, but with 20 minutes already right now, who knows? Because I'm literally not turning down gigs. Yeah. Normally I'll turn down gigs. I left Memphis June 18th, June 14th this year and didn't get back till Saturday. So I'm just <laughs> traveling. I, I won't, I'm not turning out any decent gig right now. It's not even for money. It's just because I need to write and I need to get on stage and just say horrible things and then play with those horrible things. Because as I said, that, I didn't even tell you the whole, that whole joke. I just told you part of it, but 
that wrote itself on the road in clubs in the past two or three weeks. Uh -huh. And I'm just loving it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it. There's other, yeah, there's new stuff I'm very happy about. But it takes usually about two years. But right now, as I said, as more, the more I'm on stage, the more I get to play. Because a lot of stuff gets written on stage. And then I have to go home and edit down. And then I'll try that edits down version on stage and see the flow and see what happens. Yeah. I write a lot on stage. I write a lot of my jokes on stage because things happen that I can't have control of sometimes. And mm. I just want to, there's a topic that might've hit me before I walked on stage. And even I'm on stage doing my act, it's in the back of the head writing itself. I'm like, eh, what about this? Well, uh -huh. do this and this, and then I'll just try it. And it might not work the first time, but I'm good with that. Cause I'm like, oh, I see the bones here. Let's uh -huh. put some skin on it. <laughs> So when you have the bones like that, so a premise hits you and you say it out loud impromptu while you're up there and you know that you've got something, what do you do with it after that? Do you take it back and do you write out stuff longhand? Do you take it back up on stage? What do you do? I don't write, I don't write a joke down until I like it. Okay. It's all in my head. All of it. All is in my head. I'll write that if I have to just to remember it, I'll write down like, the keywords that I need to know, and that's it. And those key, those three keywords that I need to know will evolve uh -huh. into what the joke eternally becomes. Like the jokes are never finished. Also, that's the thing. Right, jokes are never finished. There's a joke in on that album. I think transgender physics. Yeah, yeah. but that joke has now evolved as well, and there's like a different intro that I did. There's a different beginning to that joke that I did on that than I did on the album. Uh-huh. So the new verse is even more disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I was I was talking to a Canadian comic yesterday and one Ooh. of the things we talked about his name's Glenn Foster. No, I don't know that one. Yeah, he's and he's been doing it for 40 years and mostly he's known in Canada and that's about it. But one of the things that we talked about and you talk about doing all these shows is just the fact that knowing that you're going to do a show or you're going to do a mic, you're going to do you're going to do something that whole day prior to it puts you in a creative space that you would not be in if you weren't doing the show. Does do you agree with that? I don't know if I, I don't know. That's not part of my process. Uh -huh. It's not part of my process because it's, I get creative. I'm not a daylight person. Like right now I shouldn't be awake. Yeah. <laughs> the later in the day it goes, yeah, and it's 4.30 right now. The later in the day it goes, the more my brain works, like, uh -huh. the better my brain works and the better create, more creative I get. Uh -huh. You know what I'm saying? When it comes to that. Yeah. Like when I normally do radio in the morning, AM morning radio yeah. or morning radio. I never, I try not to sleep before morning radio and I'll just stay yeah. up all day, all night, do the radio, then go to bed uh -huh. because I am not funny in the AM and morning. I'm not, it's just hard. <laughs> it's like never take a math class as your first class in high school. Yeah. But, oh God, don't do that. You're not awake <laughs> enough to do that. Yeah. I'm not awake enough to be funny at 7 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. I can't, it's just, ugh. so I just stay up all night and, you know, maybe a monster, maybe a shot of tequila, maybe the shot of tequila with a monster. Lift up. Monster Zero, by the way, Monster Zero. Oh, that's uh, but good. No, no I, it, I'm not berating his process, but it's different for me. Yeah. I'm always excited to get on stage, and it's not like a creative thing. I'm going on stage with my, let me create it. No. The creativity is, well, hey, we just went drinking at this bar, and you wouldn't believe what happened at this bar, and this happened here, and that's how I am. 
I take the way I do my shows. This is gonna sound weird to some people. The way I do my shows is every show. It I, I try to treat every show like I have been on the road for six months. I haven't seen my friends in six months, and we are going drinking. And I'm telling you all the stories you've missed out on. That's how I do my shows. That's how I operate. Uh huh. Yeah. I, I, I want that entire front row to be friends of mine. You know, literally, but I want the entire front row to feel like they're friends, man. Like y'all wouldn't believe the bullshit that we just went through. Uh-huh. Let's go. Uh uh-huh. yeah. yeah. That that I like that. And one of the things that and I'm totally a comedy hobbyist, but one of the things that killed me, and I don't know if this zapped you, but my creativity just went to hell during COVID. I had a real hard time writing anything. Did you go through that? Yeah, because there was nothing to do. You could only sit in your house for so long. I had another thing I was doing. I was doing, I was fixing up laptops for kids who didn't have laptops because I'm a tech nerd and I'm in my spare time. So I was doing that. When there was, they only wanted to do Zoom shows. I did something like 300 Zoom shows and never had pants on. So that's, yeah. that's the way I did my, yeah. I mean, I'm not wearing pants right now to this interview, but you didn't need to know that. <laughs> Well, the series, there is nothing to write about. I can, the stuff that I did, I've thrown away already because it's useless. I don't want to go back and do that. I mean, I throw away so much material that I just, there's so much throwaway stuff that I can write. It's just, yeah, 10 minutes. Here you go. I'm done. Yeah. Let's write something else. And that's what I'm having with this 20 minutes because I can tell these are keepers. These aren't throwaway jokes. Uh-huh. These are keepers that are going to upset some people. Yeah. Now you are, you've been doing this long enough that you have seen, you know, the ebbs and flows of stand up comedy. How do you feel? And this is a two part question. How do you okay. feel comedians have changed in since you started? And how do you feel audiences have changed since you started? You're really trying to get me in trouble on this podcast, aren't you? No, hey, it's you say what you want to say. My, my audience is very forgiving. Now, I do get in trouble when I talk to a conservative person sometimes, but I give everybody equal times. So there you go. Oh, God. There is a lot of mediocrity in comedy clubs right now that uh-huh. I see. A lot of it. A lot of it. Peep, there are, oh, God, you really get me in so much trouble. <laughs> These quote unquote, don't get, don't do it, Mo. Don't do it. Do it. There are certain people who call themselves comedians on certain video websites that only have what they've done on those certain video websites, Uh and they're not comics. But because they have a million fans, they still can draw, and they come on stage, and you're just watching them do. Oh, you're doing a Kevin Hart bit. Oh. You're doing a Kevin Hart plus an Adam Sandler bit from a movie. Uh-huh. Oh, oh my God. You just put Dave Chappelle behind a Dave Attell bit. That's <laughs> brilliant the way you steal. That's brilliant. <laughs> you suck and I hope you die. <laughs> um, that That's how comics have changed. They've always been shitty comics. That's not a thing. That's yeah. not new. There's always been a hack or somebody who's stolen jokes, but now those stolen jokes, it used to be like, oh, you stole jokes and no one knows about it because you're huh. nobody. But now it's, oh, you have a million followers and you just sold out a room by doing other people's jokes that they didn't see you do because you tried to do sketch comedy on an app. 
All right. Anyway, <laughs> and audiences, there are so audiences are always the same. There's always one drunk person who you're going to have to t- deal with. Here's the difference. Now they're a bit more entitled and think they have a right to share with you their opinions of your material. Yeah. I didn't ask you to jump in my joke, ma'am. And don't you go trying to tell the management that I hurt your feelings because they're going to tell you, shut up. We know what Mo does. You pissed him off. You get to record. You get the consequences. <laughs> don't come to us saying like, I was offended. Good. He'll be back in two months. Just bring whatever. Yeah. They're so, they're people. That's why people are walking on stage and trying to slap comics. They're in, they think they're entitled to their opinion at a comedy club. No, sit down and laugh at the designated laugh point. You can tell those because other people won't be folding their arms. They'll be laughing at those points and you're upset. Because you're insecure. Uh-huh. So sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> now, in, in talking about comedians, w- one of the things that I see is that there are some good ones almost everywhere you go now. There, the percentage is smaller, but there's some that, and they can do anything from slapstick to crowd work to whatever and they're really they're really good but they don't know how to take that next step so they've got they've got the talent but they don't know what to do next with it because they don't have the business acumen what what kind of advice would you give somebody that you see hey you're good you've got a great 20 minutes 30 minutes you could be featuring and growing but you're still hosting at the home club those people are too scared to leave their comfort zone and you got to leave your comfort zone to do this. I met a woman a couple of weeks ago in Lincoln, Nebraska. They just threw her on my show. She was just doing a guest, but no, she didn't do it. She actually, oh, she was my opening act and her name is Carmela, Carmela Anderson. And as soon as she walked up the stage, I went up to her and cursed her out and said, bitch, you need to cancel. You need to quit your day job right now. What is your problem? Uh, quit your goddamn day job. Yeah. You're too funny to be here. <laughs> and she had no clue what to do. And right now, one of my partners, Chandra Massey, she has a, uh, a she Chandra Massey has a sad project where she's making electronic press kits for comedians, and which is most of them don't know what the hell they're doing. They're just sitting at a hit a link to my tape, and that's not professional looking. They're like, oh, he has no clue what they're doing. Yeah, you know that you just send him a video link, get a headshot that's not in the right format. And, you need to have something properly put together to make sure show, to show people, hey, this is what I'm doing and this is who I am. And you might not know my name now, but these people on this EPK know me and they can vouch for everything I'm saying. And here's a clip from my Kevin Hart thing. And here's a clip from my album that just went number one on iTunes. And here's a clip. And here's something that owner of Stardom said about me. You should probably book me. How about this? You need stuff like that. And a lot of people don't have a clue how to do that, how, how to start how to formulate this, uh, this thing into an LLC or, or so you can be an independent contract, not independent, formulate a, a business part of this thing. Mm-hmm. You can actually write off, off stuff on your taxes that you don't, that you need to like, you had to pay for a hotel room. You get to write that off eventually. It's like, this is an expense. They don't understand that. You gotta learn all that kind of stuff. Cause unfortunately more than 50% of the word is show business. It's business. Yeah. And it really is. <laughs> yeah. And how did you learn it? The hard way, yeah. <laughs> doing it, <laughs> yeah. figuring it out for myself. Yeah, doing what? everything. I was like, "Oh, I can write this off. Cool, yay!" 
Yeah. And what was it that made you take the leap from, because you, you say it's the comfort zone. When did you decide, okay, I'm going to jump out of my comfort zone. I'm going to make comedy my full-time gig. When my grandmother died in 1996, she died and there was no reason for me to be in Memphis at that time. So I was just like, mm -hmm. all right, I'm out. Peace. And I left from July 96 and then come back to Memphis till December 96. And uh, yeah, I was gone completely. I left. I left. Mm -hmm. Went on the road. I survived on MC money. At the, back in the day, they had clubs used to run Tuesday through Sunday. And it was in the South, there was this small chain called Comedy House. And I ended up, even though I started out on the road featuring to just take the work at an MC for two weeks at a place, make that money, and then go to my next gig and just do the other thing. And there's nothing I didn't do. I took buses, planes, trains. I slept at the Atlanta airport many nights. There is nothing that I wouldn't do to get on the road. And I just stayed out. Uh -huh. And I've been here since. Along the way, did you have any comedians that just took you, either took you under their wing or gave you a piece of advice that you're still using today? Oh, there's a lot of comics out there who gave me advice and stuff. People I still love to this day. Reverend Billy Wirtz, uh, one of my best friends, one of the only, only before I ever did stand up comedy, I only went to go, I only paid to see two comics. And uh, one was the, uh, Reverend Billy C. Words, who became one of my better friends in life, and George Carlin. Those are the only two live comics I'd ever seen before I ever did stand up. And then Lori Kilmartin. Lori Kilmartin is probably the reason I'm still in this business. And that's because when I left Memphis, I went, I was working six weeks straight with comics who were just about to party. Uh -huh. Let's go get drunk. Let's go do this. Let's go do this after the show. And nobody tried to do anything creative or write anything. Uh -huh. And me and Lori ended up working together where I was the host and she was the middle act for some comic who apparently now is a self-help person. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and he hated us completely because every night we tried different material. Uh -huh. Every night we wanted to do something different and interesting. Yeah. And he was not about that life. And she's the only reason I did not get burnt out in my first six weeks of comedy because I was hating it. I was hating it because everybody was like, let's go party. I don't want to party. Yeah. I'm making like 250 bucks this week. I don't have money to party. Let's no, <laughs> no. So Lori's uh, another one. I'd have to say there's three that I know that when that name comes up, everybody unanimously says that they're a great person, a great comic. Lori's another one. You still yeah, Lori's awesome. and Lori. Yeah. Lori Kilmar is one of the, I was so happy. That first time I met her, I was so happy because like a few weeks prior, I'd seen her on TV and I'm like, oh, she's hilarious. Cause she had this one joke back in the day about how she wanted to marry Charlie Sheen. So her last name could be Laurie Kilmartin Sheen. <laughs> and I was like, she's evil. <laughs> and then we became friends. I just saw her a couple of weeks ago. She played um, the comedy works in the South part of Denver. And I went to go hang out with her. And because we hadn't seen each other in 20 years, because we keep missing each other. She'll be in one place one week and as a headliner. We miss all our friends because we're all headliners. Uh -huh. So whenever you can get a chance to go see a one, it's like rush, let's go hang out and yeah. tell stories and compare notes. And yeah, that's when I met Wendy Curtis at the, uh, of the uh, comedy works. And she was like, Hey, I know who you are. We were here to talk about you. We're going to book you sometime in the near future. And 
September 22nd through the 25th. If you're in Denver, Colorado, please come out to my very first time at the Comedy Works, headlining that place and being weird and trying out new material. It's going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that's great. Now, one of the things that it's always a point of contention between comedians is the whole cancel culture thing. So I'm of the thought that there's not really cancel culture. There is just folks that have been picked on for so long and they're tired of hearing it and everybody punching down. And so they're going to get their voice out there. What's your thinking on that? I think there are a lot of whiny bitches who think that their opinion matters about jokes. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't care if you like a joke or not. If the joke is funny. It's funny. And I'm sorry if it, uh, I'm sorry if you get offended by it. Someone called my comedy. I was in a winter park in Colorado and some guy was like, your jokes are just woke. And I'm like, oh, I think you mispronounced hilarious. <laughs> but I thought about it and I wrote a joke about him calling me woke. I'm just like, oh, yeah. I'm sorry that my jokes aren't marginalizing the people you've been used to hearing marginalized on stage. Does that make my jokes woke? I'm okay with that. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still an asshole. I'm still making fun of people but I'm not picking on people just because of a person's because a person is flawed or something. I'm making fun of a person because they need to be made fun of. Uh-huh. Yeah. They've done something stupid in this planet that makes them or should make them ostracized. Yeah. Do I make fun of gay people? No. Did my, did my, if I do have a gay joke, it's like all my trans jokes are pro trans. All yeah. my gay jokes are not, against gay people it's just sometimes there might be an observation about one i can't even do it i'm not gonna i'm not gonna give that joke up right now but yeah i don't hate anybody in my comedy unless you full of hate uh-huh. and then i will berate you people cancel culture if you want to cancel me that's fine that just means that you don't like to laugh at things that challenges your brain at all uh-huh now that's me though yeah, I understand some people don't like, I got people mad at my trans joke before they even heard the trans joke because it's a trans joke. Yeah. And it was a bunch of people, a couple of trans people in Indiana, like, I don't think that joke is funny. I'm on your side. Yeah. What's the problem? Let's listen well, to the rest of the going to tell you. Yeah. Yes, because <laughs> that's the part that most people have a concern about. They're not looking to look at your mental health or what happened there. It's a, yeah, it's a, but it's not a, it's not a cheap joke about your genitalia it's a joke about you heard it and also on the other side of that have you ever had somebody come up to you after a show or write you an email or whatever and say hey not only was that good but you changed my mind about something actually i have and that always freaks me out it really (laughs) does it's so i'm like wait a minute so i'm really changing the world's mind with certain jokes because (laughs) You, I'm like, all right, that's weird, but I'm happy. It's something I've always wanted here, but when I actually hear it, I'm like, oh my God, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> I'm like one bad shitty gig away from starting my own cult. Yeah. <laughs> and that's funny because I personally feel like comedians are really the last, the last bastion of truth out there. Because well, you can't. I hate. I'm not. I'm, don't get mad at me. Okay. But I hate when people say that. Okay. I hate when people say that because there's about ten percent that's a real bastion of free speech, and the rest are telling dick jokes. Yeah. Yeah. They're just telling bad, bad dick jokes. 
I mean, yes, there is a segment of society that is the last bastion of free speech in America. At the same time, you're, those people have more problems than anybody else. Yeah. You got alcoholics and drug abusers, and they're trying to change the world like that. Uh-huh. I'm lucky. I don't have any alcohol issues. I don't have any drug issues. I drink a lot of tequila, but I only drink when I work, but I work a lot. Anyway, I don't drink when I'm off stage. <laughs> I just, I hear that phrase and I just look at the world. I'm just like, and I'm just like, him, her, him, her. All right, the rest of y'all suck. And it's just, uh-huh. it is. it's just like, yeah. It's, hey, let's do a joke about 90s. No, no. Yeah. I agree and disagree with the statement. Yes, right. there are some comments out there that are free speech, rebellion and bastards. Uh-huh. Bastards. We need to keep doing it. And then there's 80% that just, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. And I'll amend that Very to honest. say that, honest. that a Sorry. comedy stage is the last place where you have the opportunity to, yes. to, to tell the truth. And yes. what, what you do. That is, now that's better. Thank yeah. you, sir. And, yeah, that's true. And that's what you true. do with it is, that's up it's to you. you. What yeah. you do with it is on you. If you want to <laughs> go up there and say the world with jokes that are actually funny, if you just want to go up and be funny and with no message, that's fine. Yeah. If you want to bring a puppet out and be racist as hell, okay, that's you. Uh-huh. Do your own thing. Now, you seem like a no regrets type of guy, but are there anything, is there anything that you know now that you wish you would have known when you started? Yes. If someone offers you money for something you have sold for a movie project, Make sure you don't take the money and ask for a point on the movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that sounds very specific. <laughs> very specific. <laughs> because if I had taken the points on the movie instead of the five grand I've made for selling a joke, I would have had, I don't know, half a million dollars. I've heard that from a couple people. And I've, I've heard of TV shows that are based off of a person's act that is just completely stolen, too. Yeah, oh yeah, that yeah. happens. Yeah, that happens. Yeah, and it's you know it's the way the business is, and oh yeah, y- you gotta because a lot of the writers are comics or failed comics, and they hang at the comedy club trying to get this tab, and then they go up and hey, that's a great premise, and suddenly it's in a TV show. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah. Like, hey, wait a minute. Yeah, that's just slightly off from what I just said. Why is it on TV? <laughs> Oh, yeah. I got to tell you, it was really great getting to know you. And I have a lot of respect for what you do. And this album, Mo Possum Blues, is just, it's so good. And I'll probably listen to it again tomorrow. Uh, I do. Hey, do me a favor. Go write a review of it on iTunes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I really need people to do that because all last weekend, not this past August, the weekend of August 12th, uh, le- uh, uh, I was on stage. I was about to go on stage in Albuquerque, New Mexico, at the Dry Heat Comedy Club, which is an awesome little club, by the way. I love uh-huh. the ladies. Mm. And uh, I, right before I walked on stage, I was like, "Hey, you're number one on Amazon." I'm like, "What are you saying? <laughs> what is that supposed to be out to tomorrow? Why am I number one on Amazon right now?" And I was like, and then right before the second show, was, "Hey, you're number one on iTunes." I'm like, "What the hell is going on here?" I'm just freaking out. I'm, uh-huh. I apologize to anybody who had to sit through those Thursday night sets. <laughs> 
because I was freaked out real bad that I had that was number one on two different things. Yeah, and I was number one all weekend. I was like number one all week on Amazon. Uh huh. I was like number one all weekend on uh, iTunes that weekend. And I'm just like, this is crazy. Yeah. Then I fell off and came back. And I was number five. I'm like, what the hell is going on? This is weird. <laughs> this is weird. Why am I? What's happening? And yeah, I'm like, all right, cool. Yeah, you definitely deserve all the su- success that you get. Uh, thank you, you, thank you, you very much. You I've been working hard. But I've yeah. been working hard for a long time. And you're very inspirational to everybody I've talked to that's met you. So you know, you stuff stuff by osmosis just comes off of you, and I think it makes other comedians better because of it. I would hope so because if I can make other better comics, that makes me happy. Yeah, I don't want. I don't, if somebody comes up and juggles and says, I was inspired by Mo Alexander, I'm just going to kill myself. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you write a very complicated joke involving math and Stephen Hawking and stuff. Like that. I'm like, all right, that's fine. That's valid. All right. Thank you. I appreciate that one. <laughs> oh, that's great. And the folks can find you on slapthestupid.com. Is there any other socials or anything you want to talk about? Uh, yeah, the socials. Hey, please, everybody listening to this podcast, go. And follow me on Instagram, which is Mo Alexander. My name is M-O Alexander, okay? That's the same thing on Twitter. On Facebook, it's uh, Comedian Mo Alexander because they wouldn't let me have the thing I really wanted. But Comedian Mo Alexander, that's my fan page. Basically, if you type in M-O Alexander, you're going to find me. Yeah. And also, it, you got slapthestupid.com up, but that's a redirect. But the actual site is me. MoAlexander.net. Okay. Okay. MoAlexander.net. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. It just reads a little different in the thing in the analytics, but all my shows are, all my shows are up on the website. Um, if I, if you're on Twitter, you, if you're on Twitter, you can actually just go to my Mo Alexander Twitter account and it usually has where I am that week uh-huh. in the name. It's like Mo Bonkers Casino in Tunica, Mississippi, yeah. Gold Strike on September 1st. That's yeah. what it had, stuff like that. I promote like that. I learned from Lori. I saw Lori doing them. I'm like, that's a good idea, yeah. Lori. You're the brilliant one. I'm feeling it, yeah. Lori. Yeah, yeah. I um, see a few people do that. That's good. Yeah, I'm like, oh, that's beautiful. I have enough space. But yeah, all the social media, if you go to M.O. Alexander, that's Instagram, that's Twitter, probably Pornhub. I don't know. Uh-huh. Probably Pornhub. <laughs> I think it's Pornhub. I know. Yeah. Uh, anyway. <laughs> I got to tell you, I, you're an inspiration, and I'm really glad we got to connect. I really appreciate you reaching out to me and doing this. This is fun. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thank you.